All right, folks. Uh, Jonathan Sadler is not here today. Here, I think I got it. Jonathan Sadler is not here today, and so I don't know how to do the uh, setup. So Ben Hall just did it for us, but he's not used to where we go in. Uh, so hopefully we're being broadcast and you're able to tune in today. Uh, as you know, on Bible Quest, uh, if you've been tuning in the last few weeks, we've been looking at examples. And we were looking at some good examples from Scripture, for instance, Barnabas. If you learn from Barnabas' example, it will make you a better person. Then last week, we looked at a bad example. Uh, and the bad example we looked at was Cain. If you imitate almost anything Cain did, you're making a big mistake. And so in keeping with that idea of looking at examples, I wanted to think about in our country today, in this century today, what are some wise things that we see Christians doing and what are some foolish things that Christians sometimes do? And I'm very pleased to have with us today Ben Hall and Sewell Hall. Uh, they are not related in the flesh, but they are related in the blood of Christ and co-workers, and I appreciate both of them being here. And I want to hear some of Ben's thoughts on this, but especially Ben and I are going to be interviewing Brother Sewell and asking these two questions. Uh, of course, Brother Sewell has been working the gospel for many years, and anybody working the, the gospel for many years will have seen a number of people do remarkably well. And when people do well, it's often because they're having a Proverbs-type mind and a Christ-like humility, and they're making good decisions. Good decisions result in things doing well. But if you've worked in the gospel very long, you've also been disappointed again and again, as Paul was in Philippians 3, where you see people get derailed. And so I thought it would be very interesting uh, to ask Brother Sewell about just some insight on some things that he has seen over the years, examples that he would recommend, patterns of behavior or thought that lead to growth and bearing fruit, and patterns of behavior and thought that tend to pull us away from the gospel. Uh, and so, and Ben, I want to hear from you too on this. Would you guys like to start with some mistakes that are common in our culture by just disciples in general, or start with some positive examples of the way to do it? Which way would you rather go? I defer to my elder on this. <laughs> let's, let's go, let's go the, the positive route first. We're yeah. going good news first, yeah, uh, bad news later. There, there are a number of things that have, have really impressed me with the more recent developments among brethren. Uh, one is that gospel preachers as well as members are recognizing more and more that the lost are out there somewhere beyond the building. And that if we're going to reach them, we will have to reach them in their locale. I, I might say that in the earlier time, days of my preaching, uh, lost people would often come to the services. The members would bring them to gospel meetings, for instance. But uh, that doesn't happen very much these days. You have to find them. And the members, in many instances, are helpful in finding uh, prospects for the gospel. But I find that more and more preachers understand that their responsibility is, is a daily responsibility and not simply a matter of uh, preaching a 
sermon Sunday morning, Sunday night, and teaching class on Wednesday night. And I rejoiced in that. And I think that's a, that's a good development. And uh, in addition to that, we've found a lot of new ways to uh, spread the gospel. That's one of the benefits of this pandemic that we have found really so irritating and frustrating in many ways. But I think we've discovered new avenues through which to spread the gospel, not only in our communities. And I've had several people tell me that individuals in the community have uh, uh, learned of the church through uh, some of the podcasts or broadcasts of one kind or another and are attending, attending services now. Uh, but in addition to that, we've learned how we can even teach in uh, foreign countries uh, prospects who are a long, long way from truth in a teacher. I think that's been a, a so those are some very valuable improvements in recent years. Our friend Don Bunting, I think once a month, gets up in the middle of the night to study with a number of preachers in India, is our call. And that's just a capacity that we wouldn't have had years ago. Ben, you work in the New York City area. I'd be interested in your thoughts along with what Brother Sewell just said there about opportunities and how to reach people outside the building. So I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, I'm interested post-pandemic what it'll be like because I think it's uh, different. We've had a lot of things, a lot of our just kind of marketplace Bible studies, go to a library, go to a cafe, boom, just kind of be in a public space where people are comfortable, where they may not feel very comfortable going into somebody's home and they don't know a stranger or whatever but try to go to where people would feel comfortable to be and kind of have a nice conversation about scripture and be able to talk about things there. Of course, that's been cut off, especially for us. I know it's different everywhere, but for us, all those public venues have pretty much been cut down to nothing. And that's not like a, a anti-Bible study thing. It's just a, any kind of group gathering. It's not really allowed. So uh, we have had a lot of online stuff like school was talking about and have been able to make some connections there. It's not exactly the same, obviously, because afterward you can't have those little conversations to follow up on whatever the topic may be with somebody who's showing up. It's just kind of everybody logs in, logs out, and that's it. But who knows? Maybe people are hearing some stuff, and I'm hopeful that that will present more uh, real-life opportunities leading forward, and just people will be thinking about things more, which I would imagine there's a lot of people examining a lot of things about their lives. Risk, right. the uh, socio-political structure around them has been at risk or attention more uh, economics all these kinds of things are, are kind of uh, more unstable and there's a recognition of that and so hopefully we can be praying for and I think trying to do our best to engage in conversations to kick up more of an interest in that kind of stuff and some churches have just absolutely closed down and I think in a few cases it's not just out of health concern it's that there wasn't a real spiritual interest there in the first place and oh, there's an excuse not to go. And there's a lot of people who went to those churches that are disappointed looking. So I think there's opportunities there. Yeah, that's really right. So I'm, I'm curious, something you were talking about being more evangelistic, reaching out, but in terms of uh, not necessarily how we're talking about the scriptures, but what we're talking about, right? Scriptures talk about preaching the whole counsel of God. And uh, what do you observe? either good things or maybe not quite as good things, things that used to be a little better, things that are a little better now as far as how preaching and teaching goes, whether that's emphasizing different particular subject matter, emphasizing different parts of scripture. What do you see that are positives and maybe growth points that we need to be mindful of now in your experience? Well, there's always a problem of, of the pendulum, as they right, right, right. describe it. And uh, I think that in the uh, early days of my experience, 
there was too much emphasis on what we sometimes call first principles, uh, doctrinal differences with the denominations around us. And of course that was needed and, and is needed now. And in fact, the problem sometimes is that this pendulum has swung too far. Uh, there was not some basic teaching in the past that is being done now. And I'm so thankful for the, the teachings being done in the Old Testament and the uh, application of, of the crucifixion and the work of Christ and those, those things that in many instances were neglected in the past. But I think we also need to get back to uh, teaching the, about those things that are different doctrinally yeah. from, from people around us. I, I've been afraid sometimes we're, we're very eager to keep our sermons short and consequently I think people could attend our services for several weeks in a row and never learn what to do to be saved. And that's one of the distinctive things that we need to be teaching uh, constantly because that's what good people uh, who may attend our services, moral people, uh, would, would not know. They, they could have attended the denominational churches all through the years and never, never learned the basic teaching about how to become a Christian. And that certainly must be emphasized. And I'm afraid we are neglecting it just a little bit. That's a good observation. Good morning. What about um, just personal growth in a disciple or in a disciple's family? Uh, the gospel is for single people. It's for married people. It's for old people. It's for young people. It's for rich people. It's for poor people. But over the years, if you watch people, you'll see some people just grow and bear fruit and bear fruit. And you see the difference it makes in their life. You see the difference in the way it makes in their thought. You see the difference in the impact that they have on other people. What are some common biblical traits that you tend to see in those people that end up being fruitful? Well, of course, there, there has to be a genuine desire to please God. Uh, in fact, I think the scriptures teach that people who will to do his will are the elect for whom God has, has revealed his word. And that's the only kind of people it will appeal to, really. But if they genuinely desire to please God, they're going to search the scriptures daily uh, to determine God's will for them. They're going to be eager for the kind of assistance they can get from good Bible teachers. They're going to want to attend services. Uh, they want to associate with people that talk about the Word of God. And these are the things, no doubt, that contribute to, to, the, to their spiritual growth. We, we recently appointed five new deacons, and four of them have come out of error and uh, obeyed the gospel and grown to the point of being selected. Uh, the other have been reared by Christian parents, uh, but uh, I think that I think we're seeing that that is happening in many congregations. Very good. And so I'm thinking about somebody in particular that I don't remember if he was appointed this time or last time, but you had a, a man come to you a couple of years ago and said, "Hey, I'd like to just meet with you. I forget what once a month, 
and just talk about how to be a father and that, and because because he wanted to grow and grow right. and be but he approached you and said as a much older man in the faith i don't know if there's anything to add about that yeah. interaction those kinds of interactions that you had with him and we were talking uh, earlier about it, uh, people uh, the work that preachers work is outside the pulpit many times and there are people that want to study to the point that they request that you and kind of like a mentoring yeah, type of opportunity to study and one thing that that shows, it shows a person not like the, the Laodicean church, Revelation 3. They looked at themselves and they were self-satisfied. Yeah. They, they don't look like they were trying to grow. They just thought, we made it, we're, we're where we need to be. And the Lord said, you don't know how you look to me. You know, you're wretched and blind and naked. He says, I'll spew you out, you're lukewarm. And so I think that's one of the things that makes a difference of whether we just settle for where we've gotten to, or if we're looking, if we if we have to have the humility of recognizing we need to grow, and then looking to a mentor, looking for advice, looking looking for help to do that growth, that makes a big difference. And I see more of that. Well, and, and the, the thing you led with with that is a desire to please God, which is a different sort of matrix to view life in Christ. It's not, okay, give me the 10 rules that I need to follow. Right. Hopefully I'll follow those without getting in too much trouble, or what are the sort of just habits I need to follow, but it's a real desire of, I want to love God, I want to please him, I want to honor him, which makes questions like, is this a really bad thing, a sinful thing to do? It flips that question on its head away from, can I get away with this and right. still be cool with God to, would this make God happy if I did X, Y, Z? And that's, that's a, I mean, I think that's a profound thing you said at the lead because that's that leads to somebody saying, Hey, I need some help or, Hey, can you help me understand this? Or, Hey, I'm, I'm, trying to pray more, all this kind of stuff. It's a different, entirely different mentality. And, and Scott, I'll make, I'll make another point. I, I think I see parents being more proactive in the rearing of their children than they were for in earlier years. I think in earlier years, people depended on Bible classes at church and uh, even even Bible teaching in school. I learned, I learned a lot of Bible in elementary school, memorize scripture right. and so on, which right. of course is not being done now. Right. Enjoying public elementary school. And the world is, is coming in on us to such a tremendous degree. And, and I think a lot of parents now are having Bible study with their children. They're mentoring uh, the growth of their young men to be participants in the worship. Uh, they're carefully uh, controlling the television and the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, like I was talking to a father just yesterday uh, about something he said the first time our children look at a video, I sit down and look at it with them. Oh, and yeah, and yeah. he had discovered uh, subliminal messages in what appeared to be a very innocent children's program. But he said, well, we're not going to listen to that one anymore. It's, right. it's conditioning us for or immorality. Yes. And and I see a lot more. I think parents are not depending on that now. I think they're taking more of a responsibility for the training of their children. I think a great many parents are doing just that. And this morning, we're all up here at Gardner, uh, Gardner's camp up here in the Northeast, Sewell's Sun. And after breakfast this morning, I came out and several young men, like 11, 12, 13 years old, here's one, over there's one. Over there's one, over there's one. They're all reading their Bible. 
Yeah, they weren't a group reading the Bible. This one, he was reading his Bible over here. That one, reading his Bible over there. It was impressive. Well, that's our hope, too. That's where the strength comes from, directly from the Lord, through his word. So, so this, this whole being really committed to the Lord, really taking ownership personally in our families and stuff, um, that's kind of a, a distinction or a distinctiveness from, I'm a part of a group, this group is good, this group's kind of the right group, and I'm good because I'm in the group. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier about needing to preach about doctrinal distinctives uh, between what the scriptures teach God's kingdom is supposed to be like as opposed to man-made religions and nations. see that maybe creeping in, that mentality, though, because it seems like that's sort of a natural flow into, well, let's think of ourselves as we're this other brand or we're this other denomination, and we're good because we're in the right denomination or whatever. What, what do you see about that or have seen about that mentality or whatever? Actually, there may be less of that now than there was so. yeah, in, in so. the past. I think, think so. I think we're what do you understanding think a little bit more about what the New Testament church is. And the fact, of course, there are many, many differences among what are called churches of Christ, mm -hmm. just as there were in the seven churches of Asia. There That's were right. many, many differences. Right. But the, the brethren in uh, uh Philadelphia didn't think they had to defend what going on at Thyatira right. simply because they were a part of the Church of Christ. Uh, and, and I think we're understanding that a little bit better. There are things going on that I sure can't defend that don't have a responsibility to because uh, I'm a member of the, the Lord's Church uh, made so by obedience to the gospel, which is made up of individuals spread out. And wherever they are. Wherever they are. All, the good shepherd. all over the world. Whether they've heard of us or saw by us or not, their connection needs to be with the Lord. With the Lord. Uh, I, was, I expressed, in fact, I saw someone else mentioning the same thing, that the church of the Lord in China may be about as near what it was in New Testament times as anywhere. You don't know where there are individuals out there in homes and other mm -hmm. places uh, serving the Lord. We don't know. I like that verse in Timothy. Uh, is it Second Timothy two? The Lord knows those that are His. Alright, let's move to. Uh, and this actually, I like that question you asked Ben because it starts moving in the other direction. What are some mistakes of thought? Some mistakes uh, of whether it's borrowing from culture or how we view the congregation we're part of, or, or how we view ourselves, that tend to lead people astray uh, because we've all seen people who start off well they make a commitment they're going in a good direction and then a few years later they're they're not really growing and then all sorts of things happen to derail them what are some common mindsets and in, in some biblical passages that would address those, what are some common mindsets that you see that over the years have, that people have succumbed to? What are some of the main dangers out there along that line, just in thought or action or behavior among brethren where they let themselves be unwittingly pulled away? And then I think it gets to the point where it's wittingly, but by then they just don't seem to care. Um, I think there's been so much noise out there in the world in the last year to uh, 18 months or so in, in politics 
in dealing with the pandemic, there's been so much noise out there in the world that Christians have gotten too involved with it. And the, the Lord's church should not be divided by Republicans and Democrats uh, or by people from one race and people from another race. Uh, we're one in Christ and, and our loyalty is to the King of heaven. And uh, we just can't afford to let ourselves get involved in the affairs of the world. The world has gotten to a point where there is no understanding of one another. Uh, we're, it's so polarized. And if we're not careful, if we get it to where our thinking is political and our thinking is economic and our thinking right. is, is pandemic, if whatever, uh, then we, we get into that polarization. Right. And it gets into the church in so many cases. Uh, our, we're sitting in the kingdom of heaven, and it's not divided. It's not separated. And, and the world is another part, uh, something separate. We're talking about separateness a while ago. That's, that's, that's another world from the world in which we live and operate. So when Jesus picks out the 12 apostles, he picks out a zealot and a Roman tax collector would have had very, very different mind views about the Roman Empire, but they come together in something much more important. Yeah, I see fans in a, of a football team, uh, maybe college team, maybe professional team, and they can, they can root together for the, the same cause and forget about some of these other differences because they're so concentrated on, on this one loyalty. And Christians ought to be so loyal to Christ that they just don't have any inclination to get all crossed up about these other things. He, he dominates our things. In fact, I think that's what heaven's gonna be all about. I'm getting off on the other things here, but I think Christ will be so much the center of our attention that, that all of the things of this earth will just be forgotten in, uh, in our, uh, the awesome presence of our Lord. Beautiful. I think that helps a lot because part of, I think, part of the contributing factor, you two probably have a wider, you do have a wider perspective, both from places you've lived around the world and y'all's age and experience, but we're more and more prosperous all the time, which is a, an anchor that drags, like, attaches right. us more to what's going on here. Because right. I care more about the politics, because really the reason why people care about politics is because of economics. Like that's yeah, the reason why yeah. it matters to most people. Or so, what's going on. Right, or yeah, or down, or whatever. Um, there's more opportunity, more jobs, like whatever. So uh, more prosperous, and therefore there's more disparity, and so there's more frustration, or more of a need to protect and preserve, and all that sort of thing. Uh, education, whether it's wisdom or information, we have more education, whether it's through our schooling, or the internet, or books that we have access to, we got all that stuff that's available to us. Um, and then you've got all this polarization. So then the trick is, man, I've got all these things pulling me down in my thinking. So how do I make sure to think in the right way? But I love what you said, where just doing whatever we have to do to have Christ dominate our thinking. Yeah. And I like that other piece. I hadn't really thought about it in this connection as much uh, directly the way you were saying it, but orienting ourselves toward the future hope and thinking more about that. It's hard to think about a future hope whenever you're like, kind of all my dreams are fulfilled now. I just got to hold on to them. But then I find that one of the, blessings of getting a little older, yeah. uh, you, you, you have to start turning loose of those things that have meant most to you in life and, and look forward and look forward to the future.
it's just something that's natural. And uh, if we can just manage to do that, that's, uh, th that's spiritual growth, that, that's Christian growth. And uh, we beholding it as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory. And uh, until we've gone as far as we can go and then the Lord comes and we're transformed completely by his grace into his image. And the more we become like Christ, the less uh, affected we are by differences uh, of political or as you already mentioned in this selected the apostles. And we're so much less affected by those things. So I'll go ahead. Well, I was gonna tag on this being old. What do you think old people need to think about? Because I think I think sometimes I don't I don't preach about being old. I don't know. I don't know what to say, but but for you as a you're a little more seasoned now. What are you about ninety something like that? Is that right? Well, our outward man perishing, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. Yeah. And and going right on into the fifth chapter, Second Corinthians, uh, the point is that we walk by faith and. So the things we can see become less and less important to us. And the things we can't see become more and more important. That's, that's the secret. I think. So one thing I admire about you still, you have not retired. Uh, you're not you're not necessarily every single Sunday up there. I'm tired. But I know you are. I know you are. But you don't act like it. I mean, you're here at this uh, kids camp. You're going to another camp with young kids later in the summer to teach to them. You've got an international trip planned to go visit and encourage brethren. What is it that's helped you to to say, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to keep on doing whatever I can, keep on serving. I know friends of mine that go and visit with you every week and sit down and talk to you and, and you know, try to derive wisdom. So what, what's kind of helped you to keep that perspective? And I, mean, I know this probably makes you uncomfortable. This is not a boast on your part at all, but we need some lessons and some help so that whenever we get further down the line, we can remember what it takes to keep on going. Well, I've always loved what I was doing, and I hope I'll never quit. Yeah. And, and then the good people, like, like you mentioned, who continually come my way. I love them dearly, appreciate the opportunity to have them come to me. <laughs> I don't feel like going to them, but yes. if they come, well, I can maybe do a service. Uh, I, I thought a lot about, in fact, just recently, I've been thinking about Moses and, and uh, Joshua and Jesus just before we died, and Paul and and Peter and Second Peter and all of these were concerned about they, they weren't concerned about their future they were concerned about the future of their converts and of their children as John called it uh, and, and in every case I believe without exception they pointed them to the word uh, Jesus said I've given them their your word and, and Peter says, yeah, I'm, I'll remind you again of these things, even though you know them already, uh, because the scripture is not uh, men's thinking. Holy men of God speak they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, Paul directs them to the word, all scripture inspired of God. And, and that's, that's what needs to be emphasized by all means. And if, if we can just keep our attention on the word and our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren, that's the hope of the future. And my only concern about the future is not for myself, but it's for those I leave behind. 
But if I can leave faith in the Lord and interest and concern for his word, that will what I can hope will save them. Amen. It's it's and it's not fighting all their battles for them. Oh no, it's I not pre-answering all their questions for them, but it's teaching them who to put first in their life and where to look to. Well, well said. I have no idea what they're going to be facing. Right, right. Uh, who would have dreamed uh, when my father died in the seven, 1979 that we would be facing some of the things we're facing now? Oh. I never would have dreamed of it. Couldn't, couldn't hardly imagine. Uh, but new things are going to be coming up. Right, right. But, but what that probably would do just means that more and more the necessity of separation from the world and concentration on heavenly things and, and and on the Lord himself. Second Timothy 3, deceivers and apostles are going to get worse and worse, but you remain in the things you learn of. He, he recommends the, the Holy Scriptures to him. I, I want to share uh, something from our friend Dan Kane. Uh, he's living in Africa now, but a while back he was over in Africa for a few weeks. And he was studying with people over there, and he felt kind of a burden to, I've got to get all this into them. I've got to get this. How am I going to get this all into them? And he realized there was no way he could tell them everything he thought it would be beneficial to hear. So he said, I'm going to focus on commending them to look to Scripture for the answer. So he didn't try to answer. He reminded them of that principle. Then he came back to the States and up there in Boston, fellow was interesting to you know how does a person become a Christian and Dan didn't he didn't just say the answer he said take your Bible and read the book of Acts get a notebook and take notes on what you learn and then give me a call a week later he called Dan and he said I would like to be baptized into Christ yeah, yeah. and and then it wasn't too much long after that that the fellows wife was interested in what he was doing and she asked him a question he said take a notebook and take the book of acts and it's such a beautiful lesson in that because it's reminding people where to go and if we ever stop going there and we become the self-standard well this is what i believed this is what we've done then we we don't have the standard in the right place and it's keeping the focus on Jesus. Yeah, and didn't, isn't that what Jesus did? He said, I have many things to tell you, but you can't right. receive them now. You have to, you have to see where the person is now before you unload a lot of information on him faster than he can absorb it. But he said, I, I, the spirit's coming. I'm going to have to leave you. I'm not, you, you don't know everything you need to know, but I'm going to leave the spirit of guide you. I'll continue to speak. And you follow what you receive from the Spirit. And that's what we have to do. What the Spirit has done is given us the complete Word, of course. And now we have it in New Testament. And what you said Dan did is exactly what we need to learn to do. Sometimes we try to dump too much on people. And they get indigestion. <laughs> yes, sir. That's a good way to put it. Question for both of you. Think of how many times the scripture says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. Do not be deceived. Those that deceive themselves. Uh, for both of you, what are some ways that you see, you can take, approach it positively or negatively. 
what are some habits of thought that cause people to get wrapped up in self-deception? What are some things that are helpful to avoid self-deception? Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I'm thinking about a lot of the, um, I'm thinking about 2 Thessalonians, I'm thinking about 2 Peter, even 2 Timothy uh, 3 a little bit. Whenever I'm desiring evil things, whenever I'm desiring just for self-satisfaction, there's a confirmation bias sort of thing. Yes. I want this to be true, therefore it is. Uh, and, and it's not, but it, it appears to be true to me. It's interesting to me how often whenever false teaching is warned against or false teachers are warned against, there's very little said about the content of their teaching. Sometimes there's a little bit, but, but relatively little normally. There's a lot said about their character and about the, the um, desires that are being tapped into. So probably for something that I am trying to do better about all the time is just praying about, Lord, give me clarity to understand whenever I'm really desiring evil things and therefore will be drawn to a false idea or a false uh, narrative. Order. So it seems to me that's one of the big ones. But I want to make a comment on that and then come to Sewell's thoughts on that. It seems to me that one of the, not tools of the trade, but deceptions of the trade in, in preaching oftentimes is to miss is to manipulate the Greek. In other words, here's the word, and I like this part, and I like this part, and then here's the part, and I don't like that. And I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't like that. And so I'll read some article or hear something or do some digging around and find out that in a totally different context, that word can occasionally mean this over here, and then make a Greek argument that's not enlightening, but it's really manipulative. And, and I'll avoid the clear meaning of the text. I'll end up translating in a way that no Bible translates it. I'll make claims that, that are, and say, well, and it's all in an effort to explain away the word. Yeah. And to put a fine point, I don't know what exactly kinds of things you're thinking of. You actually have a lot more uh, knowledge and, and handling on Greek. I don't really have anything at all. What I do know is most often with sexual matters, that's where that kind of stuff comes up, whether it's uh, same sex activity or even uh, sex just outside of marriage. Like, well, but see the, and the, besides the uh, uh, Greek manipulation, there can be historical manipulation. Oh, yes, yes. And so there's this projection of, well, this culture was X, Y, Z. He's way. talking it's about like, temple prostitutes. Right, it's not thing, talking not, about yeah, sex right. with anybody. So if you don't you let, anyway, whatever. I mean, I'm not trying to get in the weeds on that, but that's a great example of, okay, I want to have sex with X, Y, Z person. So the Bible says I'm not allowed to do that. Let me figure out a way to make the Bible yeah, either say nothing about what I want to do or right. affirm what I want to do. Right. And uh, and that's a I mean, that's definitely I think a great example. Yes. Peter, Peter called that twisting the scriptures. Right? Yes, sir. Um, to justify what you want to do. Um, there's no illustration that I think is good that if the manager of a store if he's teaching his clerk how to discover or to identify counterfeit money. Oh, right. He doesn't uh, talk to them about much counterfeit. He just makes sure they understand exactly the character of, of true money, of, of valid money. And then when something comes along that's counterfeit, they see the difference immediately. And uh, that's what we must do, is let people see the truth. Just like reading through the book of Acts, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. so see the truth, and then all these other uh, deceptions uh, just disappear because 
That's not what this And next year is going to have a new counterfeit yeah. variety. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If all you learned was last year's counterfeit variety, you're, you're not going to catch the next one. And so the trick is I've got to actually care about counterfeits versus the real thing. Oh, yeah. It is striking to me that in Paul's prayers in his letters, he concentrates on uh, knowledge, which is kind of weird. Because you think, Paul, why are you praying in this letter for us to have knowledge? You're writing a letter to give us knowledge. Why don't we just read the letter? But he says you need to pray. And I don't think the point of those prayers is, oh, God will zap you with additional knowledge even beyond this uh, book. But actually, we got to pray that we would actually want to know the truth and seek the truth. That's ultimately what Jesus was praying in John 17 for his disciples, was that they would know the truth, that they would be sanctified in the truth. So this is, I think, one of the places where prayer really comes in in a big way is to pray that God would protect us from the evil one, like Jesus taught us to pray. And part of that protection is that my heart would be more pleasing God and not satisfying myself. Well, I've, contra- I've, I've sometimes contrasted that between reading a, a nursery rhyme or some poetry, mm-hmm. just for the beauty of the poetry and all that, and, and reading a letter from the IRS. If you read it from the ORS, if I don't understand it the first time, I read it again. Right. And if I don't understand it then, I read it again. And if I don't understand it then, I find somebody to explain it to me because I've got to know what this means. Right. And and that's the way we study the scriptures. We don't just read the Psalms in this beautiful language, you know. Right. We study uh, the Psalms and, and particularly the New Testament to know what God is saying. What does he really want me to do? And whether I like it or not, if it's God's will, that's what I want to do. There you go. Final thoughts. Oh, no. I, I wasn't ready to quit. <laughs> oh, okay. well, we've, got, we've got a few minutes I, I, left. So. I've enjoyed this very much and love these two men so dearly and so many other good Christians, in, particularly in this part of the country where we are just now, that I know are, are serving the Lord and doing their best to understand God's will and to do it regardless of what the world may be around them. And there are people all over the world like that. I think these Zoom classes have, have pictured to us a little more of what the New Testament church is really like. It's God's people all over the world who are seeking to do His will. And uh, I've enjoyed and appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a privilege to get to speak to you and ask some of these questions. Ben, any final thoughts you want to wrap, wrap us up with? No, this is great. All this stuff is good. It helps to have people who've been down the path a little more um, to help us. So then the trick is actually learning the lesson, picking it up, and keep it moving. You know, not go, oh, that's sweet. That person has some good stuff to say. We need to take these lessons seriously and embrace them. And that, and that keep it moving is a good thought to end on. There's a song that makes a good point, I shall not be moved. And in the sense, you know, don't compromise, I shall not be moved. But let's not sing it if we mean I'm just going to sit still. I am not going to be moved. We need to keep moving. It's walking in the spirit, not just standing still. Peace to fast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful. Amen. Thank you, brethren, very much. Thank you all for tuning in.